This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Advantages Digital Learning Solutions, where learning is reimagined. All right. Well, here we are again. Thank you so much for joining us at Learning Reimagine the Pod. Allison Dampier sends her regards. It's going to be myself, Sandy Gamba, leading this wonderful teacher discussion. We have not had a teacher panel in the last couple of months, actually since the last academic school year. So welcome to our podcast. I love you all each, and we do have a new member today. So I'd love for each of you to introduce yourselves. And I think also there's been some shifting in position. So that is exciting. So I'd love to hear what that is and how your school year is going so far. So let's see. Joel, do you want to go first? Sure. Hi, everybody. So good to see you again, especially at the beginning or the midpoint of this school year. Uh, Sandy, thanks for having us back. My name is Joel Pichotto. I'm the proud principal at a middle school um, in rural um, and suburban uh, northern Nevada. Awesome. Joel, how long have you been in education? This is my 19th or 20th year in education, um, including administrative positions, uh, teacher positions. Um, I started out working in the offices, um, so as a classified staff member, um, but moved my way in uh, through teaching and so forth to where I'm at today. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Thank you, Joel. Lynn. You're Hi, next. I'm Lynn Locke. It's nice to be back. I am a special education teacher in um, California, and this is my 26th year of teaching. 26. And <laughs> do you have a new position this year? I do. So this year I decided to step out of the classroom. I'm a teacher on special assignment and I am um, on the assessment team. So Basically, that means we go out throughout the district. There's four of us. And unfortunately, in our district, we have 30 special education openings right now with no teacher. So we cover all 30 caseloads. And then we also mentor all of the first and second year interns so we can teach them how to run an IEP. So it's a big job, much bigger than I anticipated. Um, what I love about it is that I'm out at all different school sites and not just being in the classroom or in an office. So I get to see it all. And I do love that part. I do believe that that might be the district's way of trying to clone you. <laughs> uh, for those of you that are out there listening, uh, there's we have a we're on Zoom, and so we can have like little hearts. And both when <laughs> Joel and I just Lynn, you took our breaths away when you mentioned your caseload and how many yeah. app, you know, just positions there are opening it's and pretty overwhelming and I know it's everywhere it's just it's really hard because a special ed teacher does so much they teach and then there's the other and the other is that so much so we have great substitutes we have wonderful long-term subs but they can't do the paperwork and so that's the legal part and that's the heavy part and so yeah it's a very big job I love it so far um I do love it there's lots of great things about it mm -hmm. Thank you. Katie, welcome to our teacher panel. Introduce oh, thanks so much for, for having me, letting me come join this immense wealth of teaching knowledge. <laughs> thanks for letting me go third, Sandy. Um, I'm Katie Chinshaw, um, and uh, I'm currently a secondary English teacher with advantages and um, all online now. And I did one year of traditional teaching in school in Washington State, and I've been with advantages for four. So 
a combined wealth of five years. Um, but, but I've been, I think I did my first tutoring um, when I was in like seven, sixth grade. So I, I kind of have always had this uh, mentality of, of wanting to be in education and wanting to teach and, and be around students and the learning mentality. Um, but yeah, my my five years here has definitely helped me grow. 20 something years is definitely what I want to get to eventually. You will. Um, so yeah. <laughs> thank you for having hope. Um, and I'm also the lead teacher as well. Uh, so I just I just try to be like a bridge, uh, communication bridge between administration and the, and the teachers. And that's been really fun. That's been a new position this this year, this calendar year. Um, and that's been exciting to explore with the company. We're, we're very lucky. We're very lucky. And I really appreciate all of you getting on. Um, Actually, and Lynn, you mentioned some of the hot topics. Want some, a few that I do want to touch on because I know it's a very real concern for everywhere. We're, we're, we're whatever zip code we're sitting in, there is a huge need. There's a, so as we went back to school this past calendar year in August, September. What have you all felt in your schools? Do you feel like did you lose a lot of teachers that didn't come back? And how are you dealing with that within your, your buildings? Uh, we did lose some teachers. Uh, we did lose, I would say, the um, the more veteran, the most veteran teachers probably. I think just distance learning um, was just a lot and a really a big challenge. So people who could retire did, for sure, I would say, in our district. Um, and then just... There's a lot of things that contribute to short staffing. Um, my district is doing a good job right now of trying to um, get some incentives to hire um, because we have so many openings. But I think we lost a lot of veteran teachers because once they hit that possible or you know early handshake or whatever, they definitely took the opportunity. And I don't think we're getting new teachers. Uh, we're not getting... Uh, we have colleges all around us where I live and we're just not getting them. So... Um, I'm trying to encourage our upper management to go on college campuses and say what a great place we are and um, try to just get some people because we really need them. So I think we need to look at it. Yes, we lost a lot of our wonderful veteran teachers, but we really need to be getting new blood into the profession. That's such a big piece, too. And looking at it differently because we are in a new new world. And uh -huh. I think, like you said, just, it's almost like grassroots, like go back and share your passion. This is, you guys can make an impact, but how do you do that? We take for granted the, that, that funnel of new teachers that are new, new, yeah, new teachers that are wanting to be in your building. So you're, yeah, that's, those are great ideas. Joel, what have you felt? You know, similar to what Lynn's talking about, I think that uh, I think all districts everywhere, actually, I, I would probably argue anybody who's working right now in any industry is probably feeling the pressure of some level of staff shortage. Um, so our, our school districts um, in the same boat, um, especially when we talk about um, hard to fill positions, similar to what Lynn was talking about. Um, there's a high need for special education teachers, aides, assistants, um, bus drivers. We just can't keep up with the salary requirements. Um, you know, the, the competitive salary requirements for some people um, to, to get them into the workforce. Um, our local university also saw a shortage, uh, shortage of, of teachers um, entering the workforce or interested in even going through the education field. 
Um, so there was a short time where we had less uh, practica, more student teachers coming out of the, the program. Um, and, and so that, that was a little bit heartbreaking. So we do what we can, I, I would say, as administrators and current teachers, just to try to incentivize teachers and other staff members um, to try to make our own happy spots throughout the day, really celebrate the successes and the wins that we have every single day or in the position. Um, I can't say it's easy, but like I said, name one one workforce that has been easy. I mean, if you talk about re retail, fast food, I think the general public has been, um, you know, more or less pretty, pretty hard on some workers right now. And so a little grace goes a long way at our school. So that, that's what we're trying to do right now to either incentivize or just really pat people on the back to make sure that they keep on going and are feeling supported every single day. So I think that has been probably the biggest struggle, Sandy, um, in terms of the, the question um, that you said that that's probably been one of the biggest ones this year. It has to be a huge challenge and you see it every single morning. You, I mean, you're, you're a principal and so you see <laughs> we don't have enough coverage. Have you been asked to have to be in the classroom in front of these wonderful students. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and to the students' detriment, here we are, the administrators back in the classroom every now and then. And uh, then we always apologize to the teachers when they get back and say, uh, uh, we might have messed up your lessons. It's been a while since we've been teaching. But, um, you know, I, I, I joke with that. We, we love being around the kids and we'll do anything to support our teachers. So absolutely. We've been in that rotation of either covering a class um, or taking on a caseload of ourselves. Um, I know that there there have been a couple of principals who have actually written themselves into the master schedule where they will take a class permanently um, just just to do that. So um, I, I think very frequently we're, we're all picking up extra duties. I'm doing some custodial stuff during lunch times after school to ensure that our, even our custodial staff is um, supported um, because, as you would imagine, they are short staffed as well. Um, so it, even if we could be bus drivers, I think we'd be there, too. So we, we do what we can. I think that more than ever, the, those tiers and levels within any sort of organizational system have kind of dwindled, and we're all supporting each other where we can for the kids in our community. Definitely taking a village, for sure. And Katie, what has been your experience? I know you mentioned online, and also you can lean on your experience from your from the perspective of a mom, because I know you have your son. So how does that, what have you seen? Yeah, um, I, uh, uh, I almost kind of have the opposite story for online teaching um, because, of course, I feel like teachers always get to know other teachers and find other teachers. Um, and I move all the time and I always seem to end up surrounded by teachers. Um, but uh, it's been like this huge outcry from them like, wait, you're online? How did you do that? How do you like it? What's the difference? What's your hours? How many students do you have? What control do you have? It's all these like, wait, well, I'm, I'm very interested in that. So I almost kind of feel like that repercussion on the opposite end where um, teachers are looking for maybe something else um, to meet their financial needs um, and then their time needs, um, maybe not spending so much time. And um, so it's been great uh, having an online um, teaching job during the pandemic. Um, that was a very, very big saving grace. And our teachers have, um, you know, the few that we have, a little less than 10, have not only stayed, but I think been very thankful for, for the position and, and really love the autonomy that we provide them um, as well. So it's definitely kind of the opposite situation. But um, I do remember when I was in traditional classroom uh, that, and that was before COVID, it was in 2006. 
uh, 17, um, 18 year. And it was um, very much like what you're talking about. There's lots of shortages, lots of covering, um, lots of time demands outside of work hours. Uh, I was happy to do it. Um, I didn't have a kid at the time. I, I bet that would probably be different now. Uh, I like getting home to him, but um, speaking from having a, a little one, he's he's five now, um, but he started kindergarten this year. Um, he is in a private school, um, and that was a tough decision. I am public school all the way. I uh, never thought it would be interesting and going private school here I am um four years later in one love it every day but uh it's it's been tough and we are in Oklahoma um not that there's anything wrong with Oklahoma school systems whatsoever uh but it is it was a little bit less um I was able to be a little less picky about my school district here than I would be in my hometown per se which is Seattle um so so we did go private um, and that even then, you know, it's this almost the same thing. It, they're, they're, I'm actually a sub for them because they have no subs. <laughs> they're like, all of our subs are gone. Do you mind something? And um, yeah, so definitely from the parent angle of having one starting school right now. And then uh, from the online portion, it's, it's very interesting to see the two, the kind of yin and the yang uh, of the two um, mediums kind of meeting in the middle. Mm -hmm. You bring up a really good point, Katie, depending on where you are in the zip code in which you, you said, um, I'm not sure if you guys have been keeping track of what's happening in Arizona. In Arizona, they've had a new initiative. It's actually not a new initiative. We've all heard about it. But through the pandemic, the voices of the parents were heard. And last September, two weeks into September, the state of Arizona passed legislation where it gives this parent the opportunity to select where their student goes to school, whether it's their local neighborhood school or whether it's a private school or anywhere in between, they can select. And so the state will give funding instead of giving it to their schools, they give that annual funding to the parents and then they decide what to do with it so as you say you know the needs of my son were were being met more at this private school in oklahoma i think more and more the parents feel like they have a, a larger voice i know certainly a lot of states are watching arizona to see what happens there have you all heard any of that happening in your states you know, I, I can't say that that I've heard of that in in Nevada, though I know there's always some level of discussion, um, whether at the school district or legislation um, to talk about uh, school choice and um, opportunities for students to, to choose their schools. Um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm on the fence without having done a lot of research and just speaking, you know, very quickly and openly now. Um, I, I see the benefits. Absolutely. You know, you, as, as the parents, we want to make sure that that, that students have the, the best opportunities available, if they've done their research, that they're sending the, the students to the best schools. I'd also argue that this might be more of a systemic issue, that there are these inequities between schools. And how are we as a community or school districts drawing these lines? Are we perpetuating um, issues within a certain neighborhood rather than going in and supporting the neighborhoods with what they might need? So then they, we're also offering those schools to be 
just as um, high performing and, and, and good schools for everybody. You know, at some point we, we are starting to marginalize um, groups of people or schools based off of their, their boundary lines and maybe historic um, scores. And are, are we widening that gap by, by doing this or can't, can we do something where we bring in some of the most, uh, the highest performing families or opportunities or resources to some of these underserved schools um, to try to raise them up. So then all schools would actually be pretty good, you know, in, 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 um, in turn. So I don't know, I guess I sit on the fence on this, on, on how we can uh, fix that issue rather than going straight to school choice. Um, but it, it doesn't surprise me, especially now than ever, more than ever, when families are doing what they can um, to better their family unit and ensure that their students get the best education possible. Right. And I, I think that, you know, you're right, Joel. And I, I understand what Katie's saying too, because you know, your kids and you know what they need and what, but how best to get them what they need. But like I said before, in lots of podcasts, you just have to be involved because if you can't afford to live in a great neighborhood and a lot of people can't, especially now, and you have to go to your neighborhood school, then you need to be involved. That's the most important thing because your kid will do well. If you are involved, if you know what's going on, if you're in their classroom, if you're communicating with their teacher, if you're looking at their classwork, their homework, no matter what, they're going to be successful because you are involved. It's when you say, oh, they're at school, that's the school's problem, that you have the big And so you know what your kids need and not everybody can afford that for sure. Um, but it's just really important, you know, to stay involved. That is so critical. The program in Arizona, it's, they, it, it's in essence a voucher program. That's exactly what we, you know, just that's what it is, but they're calling it the Empowerment Scholarship Account. So it's ESA and they're awarding students from ages five to 17, anywhere from $6,200 a year to upwards of that if they have special needs and IEP, things like that. So parents have that opportunity. And it did get started, Joel, like you mentioned, for schools that were failing. But now be, through the pandemic, it's it's now any student, any student that lives in the state of Arizona. So mm -hmm. it's, it's truly changed the views. And I, I do think that it's gonna be something that we should all watch and listen for because it, it will disrupt <laughs> what's happening in our own um, states for better, for worse. It's just they're 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 leading that charge. And so it's a very interesting thing that's happening in our education system. And so one that I wanted to bring up to hear your thoughts. But I think it's very I, I like I feel like I have like a thousand questions. It's <laughs> like, how are they gonna do transportation? How are they gonna make sure that that's not because <laughs> I grew up um where you know my parents did not like exactly like you said Lynn where we couldn't afford the the nice boundary line area but my parent was smart enough to know I want them in that other school and so you know she had her little tricks and her ways um to get us into the better school the public school but we didn't have transportation that was always the trade-off um mm -hmm. but we also didn't have a car so lots of walking um back in the day when kids just walked miles and miles <laughs> by themselves in right. elementary school um but uh so of course that's like where my mind is going my wheels are turning like how do you know you know who's applying for this you know so if a student doesn't have a parent advocating on their behalf exactly. to apply 
to maybe get this advantage, you know, is that, you know, I'm thinking of grades, grade school, right? Like maybe middle school, high school, they might be able to advocate for themselves. But um, so there's always that. And then there was like transportation in the back of my mind. How are they, are they paying for that? <laughs> are they, are they doing buses that are moving around the whole area? Do you have to provide that? Is that part of the scholarship? Um, what about extracurriculars? Like, are they, what if you want to do, you know, this school's maybe football, <laughs> you want to do the school at this one? I'm just, I just said my wheels. There are, are no, there's, there's a thousand questions, like you said, Katie, and they're all very valid because the impact that it's going to have, it will snowball because it's the haves will have more <laughs> and the have nots. Right. Who's going right. to squeeze them? And so it, I think it's just a learning right now um i know that they're also allowing like for example at for advantages we're one of their approved schools online so if the student wants even just an online version you they can do that but it does include that that funding does include if they want to do music classes or something that's extracurricular tutoring that can help any student out so it doesn't just have to be their schooling traditionally, but it could also account for the other pluses. So it's it's just going to be something to watch. Definitely. Yeah, I definitely want to know more about it. Mm -hmm. cool. So I'm going to pick your brains for a little bit. How do you think we can get more of our college students excited about going into the teaching profession? Now, there's no right answer. But at just something that Lynn said earlier today, like we have this desperate need. How do we go and get our youth excited about this noble profession that can make such an impact? It's a great question, Sandy. I wish we had an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I know that like Joel, you said, you know, incentives, maybe paying them more. Um, I don't know, I just, I, I'll tell you, I think you, you use the word noble for the profession to, and, and I would say that all of us feel like we're, we're noble to go into profession. We got into it um, because we felt like it was selfless work. We wanted to give back to the community. We love students. We love children. A teacher touched us at some point to really make a difference in our lives. We felt like it's something like a great equalizer. Like there's so many reasons that we all went into it, but I'd say anymore, it's so easy to um, point the blame at a lot of, of people, professions, situations. And um, when we see or hear about schools failing based off of a one-time score um, or students um, academically or socially regressing due to the pandemic or other reasons or, um, you know, a, a lot of um, different domino effects like families losing their jobs and, and homes. And so then education doesn't become such a priority in the homes. And so then leads to social regression and academic regression. It is so easy to point the blame at a teacher or a school and say, why and how are you failing my child? Why aren't you doing enough? And I, I don't know of one educator who isn't just working to their fullest potential or, or, or further and just taking on more tasks or doing more, um, really trying to reach to the social and academic um, aspects of, of kids. And, and this is a long way to say, I feel like we've gone backwards in, in the way that we respect or talk about teachers. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's that's the sad reality. I would say that it's unfortunate to say, and as much as I love my, my job and profession and, and take it very seriously, whether I'm in or out of, of the position, um, 
there's just not that respect um, towards teachers and, and, and kids are the same way. You know, there, there's a group of students who have learned or seen that, that they can talk terribly to staff members. Um, and we have a lot of upset teachers who have never felt so disrespected. And so I, I would say that one thing that we can do is just start talking good about teachers and start thanking them for their hard work and endless and tireless work. Um, their, their work does not stop at summer break. It does not stop at a winter break. Nobody goes in that position for, for those roles. Um, we need to remember that just like a doctor, uh, teachers are state licensed and they are college educated. And so why wouldn't we treat them just as well as we do our doctors um, and pay them to the, to the same extent too? Because like a doctor, um, teachers look at their patients or their students and they diagnose using scores and tests and observations and they give them their individualized attention that they need to grow and be more successful. So I always equate teachers to doctors. So why aren't we treating them um, just as equally and, and, and treating them um, with compensation and respect and everything else? I, I think that the more that we talk good about teachers and advocate and cheerlead our districts and public school systems or, or otherwise, you know, whatever system that we're in, we just have to start talking good about teachers again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, and maybe, maybe starting younger because, you know, when you go to college, you have to make decisions now because starting your freshman year, you're taking major classes where it used to be, we have two years of GE to figure it out. Oh, I'll be undeclared, but it's not that way anymore. So I feel like my son right now is a senior in high school, but he's in a, it's called the Apple Academy and it's amazing. And it's at our high school and it's for kids who have any interest in teaching, which he did not forever. And I made him do it. Um, and then he fell in love with the advisor and he's no, I'm going to stay in it, mom. So he's been in it for three years. And this year he spends one period every day in an elementary classroom and it's his best part of his day oh my so I, I said to him why don't you look into teaching you would be a great PE teacher because he's total ADHD needs to be outside you'd be a great PE teacher the kids love him and he's like mom I just I want to be able to have nice things and travel and I just don't think I can do that on a teacher's salary and I've tried to explain to him like you can you know you can do other things you can coach you can do at you know other things but he's stuck on the pay and it's sad because he actually would be a phenomenal elementary teacher, especially. So it makes me sad, but I think if we had more academies like that in high school where they had exposure, maybe we could capture a few kids going into college because right now colleges are actually making it a little easier because you're getting your BA and your credential all in, in four years. And that was not possible when I was going through school. And so I think that's awesome. And we need to do those sorts of things. So, my suggestion maybe would just be to start earlier. College is too late almost because you already know what you want to be most of them when they go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point, Lynn. Um, to hop back real quick to what Joel was saying about the idea of talking good or talking respectfully about teachers. I remember in my uh, master's in teaching program that we did, um, one of the questions we had one day posed to all, all of us was, is teaching a profession? And so immediately I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> like I'm getting my master's in this. It better be. Um, <laughs> but the conversation with all of us getting our master's in this, this profession, I'm thinking of a different, this job is, was crazy. There was, it was almost 50, 50 with people saying like, well, no, because professions get respect from society and teachers don't really have respect from society. We look more down on them. Or they would say things like all professions get paid based on their responsibility 
And teachers have so much responsibility, but don't get paid for it. So can you really call it a profession? And all this stuff started coming in. I was like, what did I just get into? Um, but it, it has planted a seed in my mind of how society um, in general, but also I think parents and students specifically when you're in the classrooms, respect or don't for teachers, it's amazing. And then you start reading about Finland and you're like, we're doing this all wrong. Um, you know, but it's that idea of like, yeah, that respect for teachers as a profession is, is I think a key point. Um, I think I had one person in my family mentioned to me at one point, oh my gosh, but you're so lucky you get summers off. That was a big conversation. And let me tell you, they never said that again. But <laughs> but it is, yeah, that, that was just such a, a point, um, such a good point that, that I think you make. It really does start actually with the conversation and, and the way that we view teaching um, and that I, I think will help change. And that actually came up when I became a teacher. I was it was I was over the moon. I was in the army for four years. It was not what I wanted to do. Um, I needed money for college. So I did that. Um, but then I got to teaching and I was like, oh, dream come true. And then I got pregnant and I was like, what happened? Uh, you know, I, I wanted to do this. Well, that's OK. I can teach and he'll go into daycare. But the pay and the daycare was almost similar. It was almost a one for one. And my husband's an attorney. And so we said, well, one of us has to stay home. And he's like, I want to. And I was like, perfect. I'll go teach and you stay home. And we were like, wait, <laughs> you can make quadruple what I can. Um, and so it was this really confusing time where it was like, we're both professions. I, I have a master's in what I do. He has a doctorate in what he does, but we both have these professions, but the pay was so drastic that there was no choice. There was no choice. And so it's just like this thing that got taken away from me, which is why I'm thankful that I live in a technology age and I can go online now. But but yeah, it definitely hit home that difference of like, wow, I don't feel like I'm a professional. Uh, That's fascinating. That's so fascinating. And Katie, you mentioned Finland. For those listeners that are out there, give us a little insight. Like we can learn so much from what other countries are doing right. So it's amazing. <laughs> tell us a, a bit, just real quick. Um, sure. So they have a very, um, we would call it liberal mindset with their teaching, but 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 really what it is is they are focused on the way that students, kids, uh, their minds develop. And so all of their curriculum, but like the way that their schools and their teachers are built and, and trained is purely based off of how the child's mind interprets information and where they struggle with it and what they need in order to struggle healthily, i.e. learn from that. And so they have, I mean, just some quick examples. They have recesses every hour for 15 minutes. Um, they And that's not allowed to be taken away um, ever, which is happens all the time. I'm learning now that my kid's in kindergarten happens all the time. I'm like, this is the opposite of what should be happening. He needs to get out and he needs to run that energy. Um, they do, they require all kinds of what we would call electives 
but they have arts and all of that is funded just as much as um, what we would call core curriculum. They don't call it that there. It's just all curriculum. Um, they do a lot more experiential learning. So a lot more hands-on, a lot more tactile, very, very little sitting at a desk, lecture, test, you know, repeat. Um, the teachers there, we compare them all the time, as Joel said, to doctors. Um, they actually, the teachers there get, get just as much respect as doctors do here. Um, their profession, they're paid just as much. Um, they, believe it or not, their teachers don't have to be as trained, actually, as some of our states require. Some of our states are have pretty harsh requirements, and Finland doesn't have as harsh of requirements. <laughs> Um, I, I could go on. Uh, I have that's fascinating. No, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I, I think that some some of our parents would just. I think oftentimes we select. Okay, I want my student to go to a charter school, or I want them to go to this school because of those little nuances that can be different. Of course, Finland's on a different level altogether, and I just always feel like we can learn from each other and and move forward in our growth. You know. Joel, Absolutely. I think you were going to say something, and I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I, I was just saying that I, I love this concept. I think that all of us, when we got into education, that none, none of us said, like, we love math so much or English so much that we can't wait to just lecture our kids to death. Like, it's we, we always think about that teacher who, who inspired us, and she was always that uh, really engaging person who got us to love learning in some aspects. So I love what, what Katie's talking about here. Um, in terms of like discovery learning and getting your hands dirty and collaborating and making meaning um, to figure things out. Because I, I don't know about you guys, but the, the way that I learn is by actually doing something. You know, you, you, can, you can sit here and tell me how to access something and click around on the internet to get something. But unless I'm actually doing it, um, I, I might not ever learn it. So the more that we can do things like discovery learning and get kids excited about learning, um, it will really, really um, help our cause for sure. Now, as we as we wrap up and we're getting close to our winter break, what suggestions do you all have for our parents listening? Our students are right now probably going through exams for those high schoolers and finishing up projects and things like that. So we have exhausted youth coming through our doors um, every day. What can we do to get them geared up for their return in January for our teachers and, and set there freshly <laughs> excited again. <laughs> Any suggestions? Well, I have a junior and a senior in high school. So <laughs> I really, I think I'm just going to kind of focus on family time um, and try. I've been writing them so hard because they're both just senioritis and they're not seniors. Um, so I, I just think that honestly, once we get through finals week, we just need to, we're going to spend, we're going to go on vacation and just, just be because come January, we do need to hit the ground running again, but we're all just tired. All of us, all of us. So I think we're just going to recharge, spend some family time and then hit the ground running in January. I think, um, another big thing, I'm such a, list person, um, organizing and plans. Um, so of course, immediately I'm like, yeah, I'm like, what's our list of goals? Um, <laughs> what are our achievable steps to make them happen? Um, and my kid's five, but he loves it already. Um, <laughs> he's, 
He does. He loves it. Um, but uh, so that's where I tend to go with students whenever I have um, a student with a motivational, um, you know, issue or or point where we're trying to get them to, but they don't necessarily, um, they're not exactly excited to get there. Um, I normally start with, well, name a goal, even if it's a personal one, you know, it doesn't have to do with education. Um, and a lot of times they'll say stuff like, oh, I kind of want to get back outside a little bit, or I want to spend more time talking with this best friend. I don't see them very often or something like that. Um, and that can kind of draw them in and, and just get them back in touch a little bit with, you know, there is good things coming forward. You know, now that you have a personal goal, what's one educational goal you can have? And maybe it's to, you know, my math class is the hardest, but maybe I get a C on the next test instead of a D year. So, it's, you know, I try to always start small, start personal um, and, and goals and lists, you know. <laughs> you speak to my heart. <laughs> I get it. I get it. And infusing the fun in there. So critical. Joel. You know, I, I would say the same thing um, as what both of you were saying. Um, we've heard so many families uh, this year just talking about um, how much they need the family time and disconnecting. Um, I, I don't think I've ever seen so many families pull out their kids either early or for an extended uh, weekend or anything um, more so than this year, just because I think that they're trying to fit in as much as that family time, just like Lynn was talking about. Everyone's just working so hard. Um, they're being exposed to um, like a more rigorous and more routine based um, environment that they've been used to for the last couple of years with pandemic years and uh, maybe hybrid schedules or all online schedules. And so I think the kids and the teachers and the families are all kind of burned out. So I would say, you know, to, to the listeners is whatever you feel is right for your family unit, go do it, go disconnect, go enjoy time with the family, whether at home or on a vacation, whatever you can do. Um, but for those listeners who are saying, but I want my kid to stay, you know, academically charged, I'd say there's nothing stronger than picking up a book and reading it. Um, you know, keep, keep reading. Uh, even as a former math teacher, I will say reading is the most important thing that you can do. So pick up a book, um, schedule some family reading time, you know, in, in your living room or your dining room or go to the library and pick out some books together and keep that enjoyment going for that week or two that you have off for break. It's, it's really important. Um, but certainly get in that family time for sure, whatever that looks like. I love that. I used to teach um, English at the college level, and I was reading these incredible articles that spoke about when was the last time your parents read to you? And these are adults. I mean, these are adults and they're like, uh, never, uh, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> but they, they, there were so many articles I had researched that truly said there was significant value, even if it's just, even if you have adult kids, read a book together. And my two are now in college and we'll pick up a book. And so we'll do this alternate reading and I'm going to, I'm going to age myself, but now I'm like actually having to use reading glasses because reading is a whole new level for me. <laughs> I'm like, okay, wait, 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 it's my turn, you know, <laughs> so, but it's so, it can just bring just that family, whether it's just 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and you all get into this really cool story. So I love what you said, Joel. Thank you. And all of you such great insights. Um, I just wanted to wish you all a wonderful end of year. Enjoy your holidays. I know we still have a couple more weeks for that. 
but um, I know you're feeling it <laughs> in your classrooms and your buildings. Thank you so much for all of your time today. We've had an incredible panel and I just, I love hearing all of your insights and I know our listeners do too. So um, thank you for, for being on Learning Reimagine the Pod. If you all have any questions, any viewers out there want to learn from our incredible educators, please just send us a message and we'll get back to you. So thank you all and I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for listening to Learning Reimagined. If you're enjoying this podcast, please help us spread the word by clicking the subscribe button or share your favorite episodes with families and friends and leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts.